Hey, and welcome to episode 34, Property Mastermind Podcast with Hilary Saxton, talking all things property development today with the amazing Bob Anderson. And today we're going to cover how do you do a property development feasibility? So this is going to be a really interesting episode for you, something you might to tune into if you want to know why, what and how and all those things about feasibility. So let's jump on into episode 34. Hey, welcome to episode 34. Welcome to Bob Anderson. Great to be back. <laughs> Again. Again. Episode 34, how do you do a property development feasibility? We're going to be covering all of that. But before we get started, a free copy of Secrets of Property Millionaires Exposed. Again, going out this week, where Bob has written a chapter on why he believes property development is the pinnacle of all property strategies. There are a few other great authors in here who have their own opinion on why they like what they do. But if you'd like to win a copy, remember to send us an email or comment favorably on YouTube. You go in the drawer. This week, it's going out to Julia McEwen. Thanks, Julia, for the email. And it's just we're just really happy to know that we inspire people, women, everybody, to know that anyone can be a property developer. So let's get started, Bob Anderson, with feasibilities and, well, first of all, let's just kick off with the obvious. Well, what is a feasibility for property development? Yeah, sometimes called a, a financial, no, oh, wait a minute. Oh, gosh. I know what you're going to say. You're oh. going to give me the short version. Yes. Typically called a what? Around a FISA. A FISA. Yeah, we call it a FISA around the office. If you gave it its full title, oh, though, what's its, it's got a real very name. important mm-hmm. financial feasibility analysis. Oh, really? But it's, it's exhausting to say that. No. So we just say FISO. You're the master of FISOs, eh? <laughs> the master of FISOs. Done a few. You smash them out pretty quick. Oh, man, I can. Yeah, I have to say that. I'm, uh, I'm all over feasibility. How many do you think you've done in your life? How many no, feasibilities? Couldn't so, count the thousands. Thousands? Yeah. Got to be thousands, yeah. Mm. Mm. In fact, I know you're doing one today. Oh, uh, yeah. You are for somebody at a mentoring program. Yeah, yeah, true. Just checking over here, making sure it's okay. Mm. Anyway, what is a feasibility? What is a financial feasibility yeah. analysis? Well, AKA FISO from here on in. FISO, we'll call them FISOs yeah. from, from now on. To me, it's a little bit like a profit and loss statement. So mm. if any of our listeners or viewers are familiar with business profit and loss statements, that's what it is. And look, at its simplest formula, if you think of your sales, less your costs equals your profit. Mm-hmm. And that's not just property development. That's a lot of businesses, isn't it? Yeah. You've got your sales, which is normally your income. You've got your costs, which is like your overheads. And when you take the two away, well, that's your profit. And so we want the biggest profit we can get. And so the feasibility, well, it shows us what is the profit. Mm. Is it enough? Not just the dollar value, because that alone doesn't tell us the story. Uh, we need to look at other other indicators, mm. other calculations within it to decide if it's profitable. But yeah, in its simplest term, profit and loss statement. Mm. And uh, and I mean, lucky these days they're all done with feasibility calculators. Yeah, yeah, that's made life easy. It mm. wasn't always that way. No, because I started so long ago. I won't I won't say before computers because I think computers were around, but personal computers. Uh, I don't think personal computers came in. Oh, I can't even remember when they came in. Well, I would say I'd say about twenty-eight years ago. At a guess. Okay. All right. Well, that means I was a developer for ten years before personal computers came around, and I used to just do them manually. Mm. I look. It sounds weird these days. I know, very old school. But I'd have a piece of paper, let's say a fills cap size piece of paper, 
and I'd put down my sale prices. You know, let's let's say it was a three townhouse project, the sale prices of the three townhouses. Then I'd list all my different costs. Mm. You know, the land, uh, you know, consultants fees, council fees, marketing, finance, all those sorts of things, all those costs, and then I'd add them up. Then I'd take it off the sale price and I'd end up with a profit. That is just a, a profit and loss statement. Mm. And, you know, the interest you'd have to calculate manually, which is, uh, you know, a, bit of, a little bit of an effort, but you could do it. And, look, I happily developed properties successfully, made good money doing feasibilities on a piece of paper. Crikey. I used to, you I would used have been stoked <laughs> when calculators came out, Bob. Well, yeah. Oh, look, I used to type them up. You mm. know, I mean, I'd do them on a piece of paper with a pen, my own handwriting. Then I'd type them up. On a typewriter? On a typewriter. Oh, my God. Oh, I had, I had state-of-the-art typewriters. You have to be able to remember this. I had an IBM electric golf ball typewriter. Right. And you could change the Only the best for you, Bob. You could change the font by changing this golf ball thing in the machine and it'd give you a different font. I had about five or six different fonts. I was right you. up there with my fonts. You, look at you go. And, of course, I made plenty of mistakes with my one-finger typing and we'd have to use whiteout. Not even joking, Bob is a one-finger typist. He's written a whole book, one-finger type, everything it he does. Is one is, quick finger. What, was it, it's a blur. Is it your left or right hand that you I'm use? I'm right-handed. He, you use set your index finger on your right hand for all typing. You've seen it, though. It's a blur. I, <laughs> a I don't blur. know whether it's a blur or I'm just bored. Oh, well, <laughs> so slow. No. Oh, it's not that slow. No, no, you're but, pretty quick, yeah. But um, aside from that, that's what I did. I did it manually. Mm-hmm. I typed it up to make it look good. Mm. And I'd rock up at the bank. And I, and I got money. So I was developing, I was getting money, obviously getting financed with nothing more than a manual old um, thing. Hey, that's interesting that you say that and you'd rock up with the, to the bank because that's ultimately one of the biggest reasons you need it to run, well, to make sure your project's going to make a profit. But the bank want to see the numbers. Bank wants to see the numbers and the valuer that the bank appoints definitely wants to see the numbers mm. and they better stack up. Mm. Uh, so all I'm saying, I guess, is, yeah, it's great to have the sort of technology that we've got these days with feasibility calculators, but but really you could still do it without one. But, I mean, you use them because they're so fast. Yeah. You know, that's why we do it. They're so fast. You know, nobody's got typewriters anymore and nobody knows how to use Whiteout. So mm. there you go. But And, you know, there's some... For those of you listening that don't know what Whiteout is, it's just like this white paint you used to paint over... <laughs> Um, you made the, a mistake, mistake. Because I, I, I learned typing at school on, on yeah. an actual typewriter as well. Mm. I, I was on the, on the cusp, so they started on a typewriter and then there was computers. Yeah, yeah. Look at me go. So that would have been, I can remember now, it was about 1989 that I first started using a program to calculate. And that was uh, fee study. Mm-hmm. Still around, okay. In, a, in an improved version. What was it like when you got it? Were you just oh. like, "Holy moly!" Yeah, it was. Check this out. Mm. Well, actually, that was the first uh, like publicly available feasibility program. Prior to that, I did work in a major development company, and uh, we had like a customized built one. This is way before Microsoft. Mm. You know, it was built on a thing called uh, Lotus One Two Three, which was a, a very early version of well, Excel. I suppose, maybe? Excel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, nevertheless, like uh, you know, you can do a feasibility any way you like, as long as the numbers are right and mm. it stacks up. And that's probably the most important point, as mm. long as the numbers are right. So let's talk about the available feasibility calculators out there. And we have our own, which your son Luke made, because he's a technical genius. And <laughs> and Don't give him too big a head. No, he won't listen to this, I don't think. Um, I don't think any of our kids listen. <laughs> oh, one does. Yeah, I think one does. 
um, he he put it together knowing you know working in in the business and knowing what was needed and he's very high mm. on detail so he put yeah. in so apart from the property mastermind calculator what other ones are there and why do you like your one or- oh well, look um, fee study by Dev Fees mm-hmm. uh, is still out there. Uh, that's, that's, what do they cost? What, what would that cost? Well, that's about them? 770 for the pro version. There's a light version. Mm-hmm. Mark Andrews is a, a valuer. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew Mark right back in 1989 when he launched it because I, I rang him up to congratulate him. Oh, on, nice. Look at you go. Yeah, there you go. And uh, and it's it's a fine enough cal- uh, you know, feasibility calculator. There's a state master. That's, that's, which a, is that's a mothership, isn't it? It's a bit like of a mothership of is it feasibility. Easy yeah. to use? Uh, yeah, relatively easy. Yeah, it, it uh, it's well over three thousand probably these days. Would people use all of it? Oh, it's like your phone. Right. You know, you can use your phone to make calls and receive calls, calls, right. or you can do so much more with a phone. Yeah, yeah. and the same with that one as well. That's a state master. You know, if you want to spend that much, yeah, it's a good. Good three thousand. Yeah, plus yeah, uh, or the property mastermind feasibility calculator, which is two ninety seven, and it's got. All sorts of bells and whistles in there. It's got uh, four pages of inputs, a one-page summary. Mm. Uh, it does Gantt charts, which basically give you it's like a bar graph that mm. tells you the timing of all the different elements during the project. It has monthly cash flows. Um, what else does it? Have? It has some graphs in there as well mm. and uh, sensitivity analysis. So yeah, like it's it's ridiculously well priced for two ninety seven. But mm. we built that in house. Mostly for people within the, our mentoring program, mm. so that we're all using the same calculator. Mm. You know, and it has a good tutorial too. It's not too long. It's just great tutorial. Yeah, we, uh, Luke. We, Luke runs through a four townhouse project with mm. all the numbers and mm. how to use it. And so yeah, that's no, pretty good. Sounds like a bit of an ad. Probably is. Uh, well, why not? It's the best one out there for the value. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it makes life really easy. All if those are, instant I'll, calculations. I will actually say, and we hadn't talked about this. I'll put a link below if someone wants to have a look at it to the website. Yeah, if you want not? to have a look. Yeah, yeah. yeah you should know about it. Mm. Uh, so that that makes life easy. Yeah. You know, instantaneously in a fraction of a second, it can do all the calculations, mm. update stuff immediately. As soon as you change one number, it goes straight through and recalculates. Mm. So yeah, great things to use these days. Only because they're time saving. Mm. You know, they just make life so easy. You put in the inputs, hit the go button, and it'll just do all the calculations for you. And that's what we want. So, Bob, like, what do you find is the biggest problem with fees that people send through to you to have a look at? Obviously, no, that isn't open the door to send your fees to Bob. No, it's only people know. that we work one on one with that get to do that. But you, I would say 99% of the time you have to change them or alter them or point something out and mm-hmm. teach them what to do, which you do, you do teach them. But what's the biggest problem that you see people doing with the feasibility? Oh, with the feasibility? Yeah. Well, I actually see feasibilities from people outside of our mentoring program because what happens is people, say, within our mentoring program are looking at a deal mm-hmm. and sometimes there's a somebody else has done a feasibility on that deal. Like uh, uh, the agent or? Well, hopefully not too many agents, but look, it could be an agent, it could be the person who's selling the site right. uh, directly. So often, well, not often, but you know, a fair, fair amount of the time, there's a feasibility that comes with the sale. Right. So somebody, an agent's probably selling the site, let's say the development site, and there might be a feasibility that's come with it. It could have been done by the owner. It could have been done by a buyer's agent. could be done by a real estate agent. God knows where it's come from. Mm. Uh, but you've got to be really careful because most people haven't got a clue how to do a a good feasibility, mm. and so where did it come from? 
first question I always ask is, well, do they have a vested interest? Like if the seller of a site has done a feasibility, they've got to... It's going to be slanted, potentially. <laughs> well, there could be a slant on it, yeah. Potentially slanted, you know. And even an agent, in a way, you know, unwittingly, of course, may uh, accidentally slant it and it could make a bad deal look good. Because mm. often people, they, don't, they just don't know. No, and, and in fairness, that's not what they do. I mean, real estate agents, I love real estate agents because... You've been one. Well, I have been one in my very early days, but, but that's where we get most of our sites. Mm. So you've got to love real estate agents, but but then most of them should avoid doing feasibility. Stay in your lane, real estate agents, <laughs> in the nicest possible way. We've, yeah. got, we've got quite a few uh, real estate agents that have started um, yeah. jumping over to the – we've got quite a few in the mentoring mm, program. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I've had buyer's agents do our property development courses to make them better buyer's agents. Right. These are buyer's agents who specialise, let's say, in development sites. Mm. So they wanted to learn more about the whole feasibility side of it to, to, to make sure, I guess, or to see if the sites that they're selling actually do stack up yeah. that they do work. And so we've met a lot of buyers agents in our programs, but there's a lot that aren't. And as a result, yeah, you've got to be, you've got to be really careful uh, who did it and where it came from. Do they have a vested interest? What's their level of experience? So the biggest mistake I see with people is they leave costs out. Which ones do they leave out in general, Bob? Like, what's the biggest? Oh, you name it. I've seen some shockers. Uh, often they leave GST out. I knew you were going to go GST. I, I often hear you say, there's no GST or it's in the wrong place or oh, it's just calculated at the wrong time. Not or, there. Yeah, not there. A lot of the time, no, no. And uh, get costs wrong, maybe, let's say, look, you can make a bad deal look good by mm. just fiddling with the numbers. Tweaking tweaking the numbers but sometimes it's not even tweaking them on purpose for instance if you were to put in a low bill cost mm -hmm. like if a townhouse costs two hundred eighty thousand to build and you've put it in at 220 you're going to make that's going to reduce your costs uh, assuming you got your sale prices right it's going to give you a higher profit uh than reality mm. and uh, and that's the problem so yeah biggest problems i see leaving stuff out like gst getting wrong bill costs in there just leaving things out could be consultants' fees, you know, marketing, anything. I, I've seen some pretty skinny feasibilities dished up, mm. uh, like two line ones. Oh, oh dished like up land, to you. land plus construction. So oh. they've just got the land price, the construction price. They've taken that off the sale price and said there's the profit. And I'm thinking, well, Crikey. there's a bit more to it than that. Yeah. Well, there's some other costs that need to be taken into account, you know. I think also uh, a lot of the time people don't realise that a feasibility has to be correct for the bank, like we alluded to, and mm. the value for them to loan money. So it has to be correct because, you know, you, we talked about this prior and we start having a conversation. We, we actually do a podcast before we even come on <laughs> because I get so interested and ask a few questions. But you've said in the past that uh, people very often don't realise, they think, oh, well, I'm going to make 50000 a townhouse, say, on a three-townhouse project. Mm. But that the, the bank is the one who requires the 20% margin. You know, that's the 80-20 yeah. borrowing capacity. Yeah, so... If, if you, that's what you're going for. Yeah, so if you're looking at, um, let's say, you know, commercial finance on a three-townhouse project, it has to make probably somewhere between 17 and 20% margin. And what I mean by that is the profit expressed as a percentage of your total cost. And... Look, on a, on a typical, say, let's say you, you're doing a three-pack of townhouses and they're worth $600,000 each when mm. you're finished. Well, those townhouses that would sell for 600000 as a developer, you're creating them for about 500000 
that would be a normal 20% margin because you're making $100,000 on a $500,000 cost. That's 20%. That's the, you know, the old favourite 20% that we often talk about. And so that, that's $100,000 per townhouse. So if you do a three-pack, you're making $300,000. And, and what you're saying is, and I've seen it, some people might do a feasibility. It's not as profitable as it should be. And let's say instead of making the $100,000 that it should make on those $600,000 townhouses, it makes 60000 and some people have said to me, oh, look, look, I don't really care because that means three of those, I'm still going to make 180000 And, uh, you know, that's three years' work in my full-time job. Mm. So I'm quite happy if I just make 60000 That's not the problem. Mm. The problem is the bank doesn't care. The bank wants more profit. Yeah. You have to have a big enough buffer in there. The profit has to be, you know, 17 to 20% margin on cost. And so just because you want you're happy with 60000 The bank wants something closer to 100000 mm. And so you're not going to get finance at sixty. It doesn't matter what you're happy with. Mm. And uh, so some people proceed like that. Mm. And uh, So what, yeah. are, what do you see? You know, there are plenty of other feasibility calculators out there and people make their own and there are other people out there who have them. What, what do you see as potential problems with using some of the others that are available out there? Well, the good, not the ones we just spoke about. No, initially. the good ones that are proprietary that you you know you pay a good price for, they're they're good. But what I often see is people make their own little Excel spreadsheets, mm. up and sometimes they get formulas wrong in them. Mm. I mean, I've had uh, people you know they join our mentoring program and they're using uh, feasibility calculators that they got from somebody else's course. And when I've gone through it in detail, and I can see that there's flaws in it. You know, in some cases, I know for a fact some of these have. Are incorrect formulas. That you even know some of them to go straight to that there because it's, yeah, it's always I do. wrong. And there's <laughs> another one that always leaves GST out. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm aware of that. And some people build their own and they can have all sorts of issues. Mm. As I said, that's why uh, at Property Mastermind, we, well, we built our own feasibility calculator mm. so that when we're talking to people, we're using the same calculator. Mm. And it's, it, you know, you're comparing an apple to an apple. And so that's, that's pretty important. You know, it's just critically important to get your numbers right. Mm. And I suppose, like, when you are putting your numbers in, I, I've heard you say time and time again, put the actual numbers in. Don't exaggerate and don't oh, I just yeah. go, don't go I'll, I'll just go slightly under, I'll just go slightly over. You have to put the actual numbers in on today's, on today's value. Yeah, yeah. And look, part of that is not getting emotional. Mm. You have, numbers are numbers, mm. you know, and there's an old saying, the numbers don't lie. But I've seen people who... It's des- like when you get on the scales. Yeah. The numbers don't lie. Oh, they don't. That's depressing. But, <laughs> yeah, but, we've just had Christmas. Everyone's feeling a bit, everyone's feeling a bit like that, Bob. Yep. Yeah. Don't order a new suit just after Christmas. No I January. made that mistake once. I oh. got measured up for a suit. Oh, numbers don't lie. And uh, no, no, it's not a good time to get measured up for a suit. No. So, uh, yeah, back to, back to the numbers and, yep. and so forth. Look. It's it's just critically important to get the numbers right and do it unemotionally. I've seen people, for whatever reason, perhaps they you know spend a long time trying to find a deal, mm. and you know they're impatient, uh, and they're just I'm going to make this one work. Mm. You know that's what they say. I got to make this work, and so they get tempted to say make the sales prices a bit higher because mm. that's going to help, uh, and maybe that make the bill costs a bit lower because mm. that's going to help. It's going to help it look better. 
Mm. And so when you start getting a combination of making the sale prices higher and the bill costs lower. Drop out the odd one. Drop out yeah, the odd bit here and there. And all of a sudden, oh, look, it works. It stacks up. Well, I can make any deal in the world stack up if I use the wrong numbers. Mm, it's like standing on the scales with one foot on the ground. I haven't tried that yet. <laughs> oh, definitely Maybe makes a difference. Yeah. So, yeah, don't get emotional, number one. Mm. But obviously accurate figures. And always do your own. Even if somebody else has oh, yeah. given you a calculator, always do your own to double check. Mm. Yeah, I saw one just recently. It was a project in Victoria. And one of the mentoring students uh, put it up and said, look, I've just had this land on my desk. So they was an information memorandum put together by somebody who had a property under option and they wanted to basically sell the option on, mm-hmm. you know, sign the option. And they'd done a feasibility. They, uh, as part of it, they did a feasor. And a nice pretty IM. Nice presentation, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the IM looked okay. Uh, but I go straight to the numbers. Yeah. You know, I don't care how pretty something looks. I went straight to the numbers and it was showing 26% return on cost. Mm-hmm. I thought, gee, that's pretty damn healthy. Mm. That immediately made me wonder. Mm. And when I had a bit of a look, first thing I do is look for things that are missing. No GST. Uh, so that's one thing. So that's obviously, if no GSTs in there, they're going to make it look better. And then I had a look at the bill costs because that's, that's one of the next things that I look at because that's a big number. Mm. And I looked at the bill cost. I went, wow. That's a low bill cost. It was about $180,000. Oh, gosh. And I thought, these must be pretty small townhouses. Anyway, then I, I looked a bit further into the information memorandum. They had the plans there. And so I had a look. And they were, you know, they were sizable townhouses. Uh, and I thought, well, no way in the world. I mean, these things are 280 to build all day, every day. Mm. And yet they got them in at 180. So, well, you know, there you go. Anyone can make a feasibility stack up. Mm. I think re-input it into our own feasibility calculator, the correct numbers, and it showed 12% margin. So that so it, you saved his life? Saved the person's you pr- life. probably saved his marriage. It was a her, actually. But <laughs> oh, saved her marriage. Neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's a, a 26% deal that's really a 12% deal. Mm. Now, if you didn't know how to read numbers properly, if you didn't know how to do a feasibility and you get like a bit mesmerised by the information memorandum, or maybe you're feeling a bit desperate because you've been looking for a while and haven't found a deal, and you jump onto that, you're going to have some problems. It's like, it's like, being, like, like jumping on a bucking bull. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get bucked off. You know, one of the issues is often people don't realise they bought a bad site, what I might call a lemon, mm. until later. Mm. Because when you first buy a site, more often than not, there's just like, let's say, an old house on the property. Now, you're either going to renovate it up a bit build in the backyard, or you're going to demolish it and build some new townhouses. That's Mm -hmm. typically what we do, isn't it, with most of the developments that we do. Now, the thing is that when we first buy that site, as far as the finances are concerned, it's just an investment property. And until we actually get some approvals, uh, you know, we're not going to get into the development finance part. So what happens? People do a feasibility, and it looks good, and it stacks up as far as they're concerned for the development. They look at it, and they say, okay, it costs X dollars for the land. I'm going to get a development permit for three or four townhouses, and then they're going to sell for that, and they're going to cost this. So they do a feasibility, and it looks good to them, so they go ahead and buy it. Now, they don't know yet that that's actually a lemon because it doesn't stack up because they did their numbers wrong. So they mm. think it stacks up, and it doesn't. And so they happily go ahead. They pay some money, and they get a development permit. Uh, then they start, you know, let's say, getting their building permit. They rock up to the bank to get their construction finance so they can finish the project and build everything. 
And the bank says, yeah, that's great, uh, but we've got to get it valued. Oh. And so the valuer looks at it and he looks at their feasibility and then like commercial valuers mm. understand feasibilities. And, uh, and then he suddenly realises, you know, that you can't build these things for 180, they're 280. And, you know, there's no GST in there and they realise these things now. And so what that has the effect of, it drives the value of the land right down. Mm. And, and all of a sudden, uh, they, that's when they find out they bought a lemon. And that could be, you know, nine months, six, seven, eight, nine, ten months after they actually bought the property. Oh, gosh, that's so long. Yeah. And so the next thing you see a property come on the market with a development permit. Oh, gosh. Have you watched Bob's Deal or No Deals? We get a few of them thrown up. Yeah. Well, now they're trying to get out of their lemon. Mm. And so they're hoping, you know, someone else will buy a lemon off them. Uh, and, and, and save their lives. Hoping for another wood duck to come along and yeah, help yeah. them out. Yeah, so, you know, that's how, how important it is to get the numbers right at the beginning. Mm. And, and it doesn't matter. You can't use there wasn't enough time, it was a rush thing. No. You actually have to take responsibility. Yeah, you have to take responsibility. If it's, if it's going up for auction and it's tomorrow, you have to do that today. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you, you become quite adept at doing feasibilities mm. once you've done enough of them. I mean, I, I can do them in my sleep just about. Uh, and, and you get better and better and faster and faster uh, as you do them and learn more about them. Mm. Yeah, but uh, everything's about the numbers. So what are the, the, the biggest numbers that matter the most? There's three big numbers in doing a feasibility. Let's say it was a townhouse project. The biggest number of all is your sale price. Mm -hmm. We often call gross realisation value. GRV. GRV. And that's the sale price. So let's say we had we were developing three townhouses and when we're finished they're going to be worth six hundred thousand each. Well that's three times six hundred thousand, which is one point eight million. So that's our GRV. Mm. Now that is by far the biggest number. So we need to get that right. We need to get our sale prices right. So what are the two biggest costs? Well, the land value mm. and the construction. Yeah. The other costs, things like consultants' fees and marketing and you know, the other bits and pieces, the council fees, they're not big costs in terms of dollar value. The big dollar value costs are land and construction. And you know, in a typical uh, capital city, middle-of-the-market type development, the land plus the construction costs is going to be about 80% of your costs. Just those two items alone are going to be about 80% of your costs. So it stands to reason uh, if you're out there, you're out, you're out a lot. Mm. Uh, like if you're, if you're under uh, on your construction price, you're under on a big number, it's mm. going to have an effect. If, uh, you, if you were out on consultants' fees... Not too bad. No, it's not going to make that big a difference. I think... Um and with the latest boom in development, there'll be a few people saved by the fact that property has gone up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yep. but, but beware if you're not doing good feasibility, you know, if you aren't running or doing your own feasibility and you're not, you know, double checking that this boom will slow down and flatten out and then it will matter. I mean, it does matter anyway, but it, mm. for those that have made mistakes in the last year or so, they will get away with it because of the, because of the climb. Yeah, yeah. And, but you can't, Long term, you can't rely on the market saving no, you. I've no. seen the market save plenty of people. You've seen it kill a few. I've seen it kill some, mm. uh, but I've seen it save some. But mm. you have to learn the right way because yeah. it's not always mm. going to save you. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I think the inspiration for this um, podcast is we were talking to somebody and they said, uh, 
I took Bob's advice and I went and got a buyer's agent. We were talking about buyer's agents a couple of days ago and I said, and what, what, what was your feasibility? And they said, oh, I just use theirs. And I'm like, what? <laughs> use the buyer's agent's feasibility? Oh, jeebus. I said to Bob, oh, dear. Yeah. And look, sometimes the, the, odd, the odd buyer's agent. Well, well, no. Well, okay. Particularly ones that have done our course. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, you've got to be pretty careful. I mean, not, the lesson is there, whether they're right, or whether they're wrong with their feasibility, the thing is you can't rely. You have to check it. You've yourself. got to be responsible for your you, own. You have to because yeah. who's, you know, backside is on the line for the finance. Yeah, you can't go back. Agent. You can't go back and say <laughs> it's your fault. And they go, okay, so, and what? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, then yeah, what? yeah. And so you have to take responsibility. I always say that's one thing that you should take responsibility for is getting the numbers right. It's too important just to rely on somebody else and hope hope they can get it right. Have you ever got the numbers wrong, Bob? Oh, in that one, have you? Oh, gee, I can't. Early days, you must have made some errors. Oh, probably. Probably minor ones, yeah. But but you know what I'm like. I'm pretty analytical. I'm oh, good on numbers. Yeah. I'm, I, I go into a bit of detail. Like mm. I don't, yeah, so I sort of. You're the only person I know that actually reads contracts from start to finish. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, you write them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So not, not nothing major. I mean, sure, I've made mistakes and been out a bit, but nothing that actually, you know, killed a deal. Mm. Uh, I've, I've I've done feasibilities uh, where when I bought a site and then the market's changed afterwards uh, and let's say prices have gone backwards a bit mm. and so as a result, my sale prices ended up being lower than what I'd allowed for in my feasibility. Mm. But what that meant is I made less profit than I thought I was going to make. Mm. So instead of making, let's say I predicted I was going to make $100,000 profit per townhouse, and then the market, let's say it dropped $50,000 per townhouse. Well, what that means is I made 50000 instead of a hundred. So we take that back to that earlier scenario where Bob was saying, where people have said to him, I don't mind just making 50000 That's why. Because if the market mm. does go backward, then you're making zero. Yeah, and banks know that, which is why they insist on a particular margin. Mm. But, I mean, that's happened to me a couple of times where markets have gone backwards. But the, the beautiful thing is as a property developer, our profit is a big buffer. Mm. That example I just said, hundred thousand dollar buffer, if you like, to profit. Things dropped fifty thousand. I still made fifty, and uh, on three, so you made one hundred and fifty. Yeah, instead of three hundred. Yeah. So, and and that's that's happened a couple of times. But if you think of it, the other side of the coin is that property goes up for a longer period than it goes down or flat, mm. if you like. I mean, if it goes flat, it doesn't really matter because the numbers that you did at the beginning should be the same as the numbers at the end if it product you know things haven't changed uh, but sometimes more often than not property goes up it goes up more often than it goes down obviously otherwise property wouldn't keep going up it does and so more often than not you end up selling at a higher price than what you did on your feasibility the mm. you know when you bought the site because you might be selling you know, if you didn't need to do pre-sales on a small project like that you'd you might be selling, you know, uh, 16, 18, 20 months after you bought the site. Mm. And so you might have had 20 months growth if the market is going up. Mm. If it didn't go up, well, that's okay. Uh, you still made your development profit. If it did go down, well, you got a good buffer. Oh, I think that's good info, Bob. Is there anything else you'd like to add on feasibilities or feasibility calculators? Well, not really. I, I guess I'll say this. If you're looking at using a calculator and you don't have one, uh, go to our website, have a look at the Property Mastermind Feasibility Calculator. Uh, but, um, yeah, just just take your time. Don't rely on somebody else's. Mm. Learn how to do them yourself. Mm. 
and take the responsibility of doing your own feasibilities because they're just too important. Mm. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. All right, everybody, that was episode 34, how to do a property development feasibility. Did we cover the how-to? Just put all the numbers in correctly. It was kind of a lot more on the why, but... Yeah, it's a lot more on the why. Um, I mean, to use numbers, numbers go out of date so fast. Mm. I mean, people that are coming to a current workshop, I'll use current numbers. People are in a mentoring program, I'll use current numbers. But you have to be a little bit careful when you're broadcasting things like a podcast that you know, if you've got specific numbers you're using, they, they can quickly be out of date. Mm. And then, you know, six or 12 months on, two years on. We, we brought that up on another podcast in case you didn't listen, that lady that insulted you publicly oh, for God, yes. having wrong numbers. And it was like, yeah, you took numbers from five years ago. It was more than five years ago. She found a recording I'd made, I think it was nine years earlier, and used the bill cost that I was quoting at the time. Mm. And uh, one, yeah, anyway, that's another story, which, which is why like, I'm a little bit hesitant to throw numbers into something that mm. people could be watching so this, years So you're later. listening in January 2022, everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, the, yeah, that, all this relates to January 2022. Oh, yeah. I mean, the theory remains constant all the time. Yes. Uh, but um, numbers move, move on. They go up, they go down. So, you know. Do your own. Do your own. Do your own. All right. That's us. Thanks, Bob. You're a blooming legend. Thank you. Cheers. All right. Catch you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye, everyone.